Welcome to the Beacon Church Podcast. Each week we post a sermon from our last Sunday service so you can catch up, review, or share with your friends. We pray as you listen to this week's episode, you're encouraged and equipped to love God, love people, grow in Christ, and serve the world.
Good, good evening, everyone. Welcome to our Good Friday service. So, so good to be together tonight. You know, the days leading up to Good Friday and then Easter that follows it, it surely tells a story. But it's not a story that began on Good Friday or even that began during Holy Week. In, in fact, the story begins with a God out of an overflow of love creating a good world. And then he creates the crown jewel of all of his creation in humanity to partner with him and co-rule with him and co-cultivate his world with him. It's beautiful, it's marked by peace and it's marked by love and it's marked by unity and wholeness and rest. And he calls it good, and he calls it good, and he calls it very good. And before long, you, me, the humans, decide to redefine God's perfect definition of good with our own. And we decide that acting for our own benefit at the expense of another is what's good. Selfishness greed, manipulation, and hustle is what we decide are good. And everything falls apart from there, doesn't it? Every problem in human history, every problem in our nation, in our communities, in our families, and within ourselves, it all stems from the decision that our own good is what's good. And so God articulates a law. He articulates the law to show us the good world that he intends. Worship God. You know, rest and depend on him. Love people. Value life. Value truth. Be loyal to your family. And yet, as we try and try to do those things, we begin to feel something. Paul, the author of, of Romans in chapter 3, verse 20 says, No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, 
we become conscious of our sin. Because though we try and we try and we try, we invariably miss the mark. It's what the Bible calls sin. Shooting for something and missing. And so we find ourselves feeling forsaken. And we begin to experience, feel the effect of that. The wrath of God against us. And the wrath of God against us is not something that is something that lies only in the future. Uh, Paul in Romans chapter 1 says it like this. He says, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. And then in chapter 1, verse 26, he says, So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their heart desired. You know, God's wrath against us is not just something that is to come, but a loving God says, I am here. I'm making my presence available to you. I'm making my, my, an awareness of my presence available to you. But if you choose not to come to me, I will allow you to destroy yourselves. And we experience that. We feel that as a society. We feel that even as a person. Left to our own devices, we will destroy ourselves. And it leaves us feeling shame. Paul goes on to say this in Romans chapter 1, verse 24. He says, as a result... They did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that would never be done. He goes on in chapter 3, verse 10. He says, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. The truth about God, that he is good, that he is kind, that he is loving, and he has created us to live in the fullness of that, gets replaced with a feeling that we are useless, that we will always be useless. And we believe that line. We begin to believe that there is no hope. And we begin to feel crushed by the weight of being forsaken and God's wrath and the shame that we experience. And as we start to feel the weight of that on our backs, it feels like a like a type of a type of bondage. It feels like we're slave to it. Paul goes on and writes like this in Romans chapter 7:21. He says, I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that's at war within my mind. This power makes me slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? The weight of that 
crisis. It just, it feels like bondage. Paul describes it as a, as a power that is over us. The idea of bondage and slavery is this idea of being stuck, right? There's no vision for a future. There's no vision for a way out. There's no vision for freedom from it. And it leaves us feeling dark and empty. The weight of this continues to pour over us. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Chapter 1, verse 29. Their lives become, became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises. They're heartless. They have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, and yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do the same. There is a profound darkness and emptiness in this that I must bring benefit to myself at all costs. It's my money, it's my future, it's my tribe at the expense of another. And it's never, ever enough. And we begin to feel nearly crushed by the weight of it. And that darkness and that emptiness is what death actually feels like. Paul writes famously in chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. The wrath of God that lets us experience the natural consequences of our rebellion leaves us separated from God, our backs turned to a God who created us for love and goodness and kindness and unity and wholeness. And we run from who we were meant to be. It's death. It's a spiritual death. And it leaves us in a condition that we don't want to be in. It leaves us condemned. Romans chapter 5. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's 
one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God, a new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will become righteous. And we start to, to think of, of the weight of all of these things piling up upon us. The weight of what it means to feel forsaken, to feel God's wrath against us, to live in a place of shame, to feel enslaved by it, darkened and empty, to experience death and this condition of feeling condemned. It is heavy. It is weighty. And though it is a part of this story, it is not the end of this story. And so I'd love for us, you can stay seated, um, to just take a moment and reflect upon the weight of these things that have found themselves on our backs and on the backs of all of humanity as we sing this next song together.
I promise, common words that are uncommonly honored, promises broken so frequently that we don't even expect that they're kept. But here in Romans 8, what most scholars call the greatest chapter in the Bible, Paul outlines some of the most amazing promises that God has for you. At first, we were condemned. We were guilt, guilty and full of all the shame. But in Romans 8, verses 1 and 2, we read, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Death, darkened and empty, what we deserve. But then we read in verse 10 and 11, the promise that reads, the spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. And then of course, bondage, bound. We were slaves to sin, but Paul speaks of the future glory revealed in us. And Instead of bondage, we're promised new bodies. And instead of shame, we're promised this magnificent gift, this gift to be called heirs and children of God. In verse 18, the promise reads, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that day when God will reveal who his children really are. 
we have been freed from death and decay. And for long, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering, we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including new bodies that he has promised us. God's wrath against us. In verse 28, one of the greatest verses in the Bible. And we know that God causes everything to work together for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. The promises of Romans 8, we're no longer condemned because of our guilt. We're free from the power of death. We're no longer darkened and empty. We're called children of God. We're freed from bondage. No more shame. No more wrath of God against us. And lastly, we are not forsaken. We are not forgotten. We are not cast aside. In verse 31, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, the promise in 38 continues to read, and I'm convinced that neither that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries for tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or below, indeed, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is revealed in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Let's all stand right now and give praise to the one and only God who gives us all these wonderful gifts. Amen. I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bound and drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb, the entrance sealed by heavy stone, Messiah still and all alone. On the third 
peace among the saints my gaze transfixed on Jesus face oh I can't wait for that day church maybe you're here today and you know you're, you're not you're not fully here yet you're not feeling when we sing, oh, praise the name, we are joining in on heaven's song that's already going on. So I pray, and if you're comfortable, would you close your eyes, hold your hands out in front of you, as, just as an outward physical expression of saying, God, I'm here, and I, and I want to know what you're speaking to me today, that there is no condemnation for me, there is no shame, there is life to my body. I have the power of the living God living within me. There is no shame. There is no guilt. I am no longer condemned because of the blood of Jesus. And so we sing it out. We sing it out, church. We praise the name. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise the name forevermore for endless days. We will such a day, the wrongdoing of all humanity, putting to an end an innocent man, the Son of God. This is the story of Jesus' death by way of a cross, all in one moment bringing death to the bright light of our future. He never stopped loving us, and yet this is the incredible part of it. Our sin stopped his heart. Our sin drove the nails firmly in the hands of God. All along, these were the plans. We told ourselves that we were in control, and this was deemed sufficient for all of us. The brutal beating, the inhuman flogging, the naked humiliation. Heaven watched and saw it all. Our rebellion, our guilt, our shame, erasing the very notion of reconciling us with God, our sin and our debt, overcoming Jesus. Here is our king obliterated. The enemy laughing, his plans unstoppable. There's no longer the sound of freedom rising. Now God's people are utterly broken. 
behold the chains of mortality. Yes, this is what is true. We had heard the stories of old, the lost are found, the blind can see, the weak are made strong, but now we are witnesses to this reality. God is dead. We had almost believed there is a way of redemption. There is a life of fulfillment. There is a peace beyond understanding. Now we know better. For us, we can say that God is encapsulated in this one realization, the single greatest sacrifice in human history is finished. How clearly we can see it. So what's so good about Good Friday? Just one thing, that the blood of Jesus can reverse the curse of sin and raise the dead to life. How clearly we can see it is finished. The single greatest sacrifice in human history encapsulated in this one realization. We can say that God is for us. Now we know better. There is a peace beyond understanding. There is a life of fulfillment. There is a way of redemption. We had almost believed God is dead. But now we are witnesses to this reality. The weak are made strong. The blind can see. The lost are found. We had heard the stories of old. Yes, this is what is true. The chains of mortality utterly broken. Behold, freedom rising. Now God's people are unstoppable. There's no longer the sound of the enemy laughing. His plans obliterated. Here is our King, Jesus, overcoming our sin and our debt, reconciling us with God, erasing the very notion of our rebellion, our guilt, and our shame. Heaven watched and saw it all, the naked humiliation, the inhuman flogging, the brutal beating, and this was deemed sufficient for all of us. We told ourselves that we were in control. All along, these were the plans firmly in the hands of God. Our sin drove the nails. Our sin stopped his heart. And yet, this is the incredible part of it. He never stopped loving us. The bright light of our future all in one moment, bringing death to death by way of a cross. This is the story of Jesus, the Son of God, an innocent man putting to an end the wrongdoing of all humanity. How can one describe such a day? Good Friday.
When I was a, a senior in college, I lived with a, a group of guys in a house, uh, and we lived in the, the suburbs of Chicago, and one day there was this really bad rainstorm, and the, the way the house was situated was kind of in a low spot, and water started to collect, and it started to, to actually flood into the basement, which was a real problem because one of the, the guys lived in the basement, and so it's a house full of guys, so we snap into action, we assess the problem, and we start to uh, realize we, we just need to divert the water away from the house. And so we're out in the, the yard and we start just digging a trench in the yard. Uh, and we're out there for a couple of hours digging this trench, diverting the water away from the house to, to solve the flooding issue. And uh, in some spots of the trench was like two or three feet deep. Like we had to go down, we're just doing this by hand. But in the end, it worked. We actually divert the water away from the house, stop the flooding in the basement, and we, we go in the house, and it, we felt like we were coming back from war. Uh, like, and we were victorious. We were just like covered in mud, and we were wet and cold, and our, our bodies ached, but we were victorious, and we were celebrating. We did it, guys. We got the water out of the house. Uh, until about an hour or so later, we got a knock on the door, and it was somebody from the apartment complex behind our house. Uh, they, they came to reveal a design flaw in our trench, uh, because our trench was now just pouring water into the parking lot of the apartment building behind uh, our house, which they didn't like. We solved our problem we got the water out of the house, but we, we didn't actually just, I don't know, we were naive. We were college kids, you know? We, didn't, we, we thought the water just kind of disappeared into the ether, but of course, we just, we just diverted it to somebody else. We, we took our problem, we made it somebody else's problem. On Good Friday, we come together because we celebrate that the, the weight of our sin that was just on our shoulders, this impossible weight, this burden that we could never carry was taken off of our shoulders. We have these amazing promises. It was all diverted away from us and we celebrate that and these, these promises from God. But we also come together to recognize and to celebrate that the reason it's not our problem anymore is because it became someone else's problem that this, these floodwaters that were, were coming toward us were diverted away from us because they were diverted to somebody else. As one, uh, one preacher put it, he says, just imagine you're standing in front of a dam, like 100 yards away, and all of a sudden the dam breaks, and there's just this, this massive flood of water coming and rushing toward you. It's rushing toward you. You know it's just going to sweep you away, and, and just before it gets to you, it's like the ground opens up, and it just swallows up all of that water. Because on Good Friday, Jesus took the cup of God's wrath, the fullness of it, and he drank it down to the dregs, every last drop, and he turned that cup over, and he said, it is finished. In just a moment, we're gonna have the opportunity to celebrate the Lord's Supper, and, and as we do, the band is gonna play a song, we're gonna do it a little differently, and we're gonna invite you guys, as the, the band is playing, to come forward and to come and grab the elements and to take them back to your seat and you can take them at any, any point during this song. But as you are, are there and, and just reflecting, 
What I want you to do is to not, not reflect on your sin. We've done that already tonight. To not necessarily even reflect on the promises of God because we've, we've had a chance to do that. What I want you to reflect on is I want you to reflect on the beauty of a Savior who diverted all of this away from us to him. See, we didn't dig the trench that landed on him. He dug the trench so it would land on himself and not because he had to, because he wanted to, because he loves you. When Jesus tells uh, his disciples to eat this meal, this, this Lord's Supper, and he tells them to do this in remembrance of something, he doesn't say do this in, in remembrance of your sin, although it's good for us to remember our sin. He, he doesn't even say do this in remembrances of the, the promises that I've made for you, although that's good too. He says do it in remembrance of me. As the, the band plays this next song and as you come up and you, you receive the elements, I want you to just to picture him, to set your mind, fix your mind on the, the beauty and the glory of our Savior who took the full, full wrath, the full condemnation, the death, the shame, the bondage, the darkness. For you, he let it fall on his body. And he spilled his blood.
you guys all stand so that we can end our service tonight with one last song.
Today is Good Friday because we have a good God, a good Savior. And we thank you guys for joining with us as we take time to celebrate the goodness, the kindness, the generosity, the compassion of a God who would bear the weight of sin for us. And we invite you back on Sunday as we take in his goodness and we add to it his greatness to take all of this stuff right over here Get rid of it for good. We'll see you guys on Sunday morning. God bless. If you enjoyed the sermon, want to learn more about Jesus, or get to know our community, please visit beacon.church to get connected. We would love to hear from you.